Yes, Lord God, we welcome you here this morning. But not spirit just to, I don't know, swirl around the room and make us feel buzzy. But Lord, we invite you to come into our hearts to do a work within us. That is what the invitation is this morning, Lord, to do a work within us, transforming our minds, softening our hearts, dropping revelation into our spirits. That is what the invitation is this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here today to do your work, to fulfill your will, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to reconcile your people to yourself. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here today. And I'll say no more on that, Lord, because I don't set your agenda. We want to see your will fulfilled here. So come, Lord, and do your thing. In Jesus' name. Mm. Yeah, please take a seat. As much as Holy Spirit is welcome here today, you also are welcome here today. We hold these meetings so that God can meet with people, so that people can have an encounter with his spirit. So you are welcome here today, and you're welcome to receive everything that God wants to give us. You're welcome to reach out and share his love with those around you. You're welcome to join our family of faith. So uh, whether you've been a part of this family for decades or this is your first time here today, welcome. Welcome, and it's good to see you here today. It's great to see uh, little Aiken McDonald here for his first service uh, today, given that he was born this week. Um, biological evangelism, it's legit ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, to that end, um, I am... Very proud to share that uh, Leslie and I have another little one on the way. Yeah. Had a dating scan on Monday and, oh yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good morning. My name's, my name's Clay, if we haven't met before, and um and uh, I've got a word for you today, and uh, my prayer really is that, that God does drop something into our spirits and um, brings us into unity, that together as one community would have, would have one mind, would have one heart that beats along with God's. And, um, and when I say that, I, I, I don't envisage us really as sheep who just kind of aimlessly follow around, you know, not thinking for ourselves. I don't see us as robots, you know, that have just a single program that we have no choice. What I see God doing is he's bringing us into alignment that we have his mind. That's certainly what I want for myself. I want to see the world and myself and his kingdom the way he sees it. So, yeah, hopefully this today helps us move another step closer to that. Two weeks ago, Greg, our senior pastor, brought us a very prophetic message uh, speaking into a revelation of the new wine uh, that God is, uh, is pouring and looking to pour out into our community. And the new wineskin that we would need to hold that wine. And I want to speak a bit more into that word today. Uh, I am not a winemaker. 
or vintner, as they are known. But in the tradition of the Trappist monks of old, I am a brewer of fine ales and lagers. So I am well familiar with the principles of fermentation and the importance of bottling in an appropriate vessel uh, that can withstand the in increasing pressure of the fermenting beverage. Actually, it's probably fair to say uh, that fine is probably not the most apt description of uh, my ales and lagers. Uh, in fact, um, they can barely be described as ales or lagers, <laughs> but they do contain hops and malted barley, so technically they're beer, kind of. That's beside the point. I understand the science of it, and uh, that helps a little with my understanding um, of the analogy of the wineskins. Uh, the parable of new wine and wineskins is found in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5, but to grasp uh, the fullest application of this parable, or direct your attention to Matthew chapter 9. If you have the scriptures with you, please uh, turn there now or press your touch screen and scroll down to where you've got it there. Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we will be starting from verse 9. All right, are we there? As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, or Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. But I think it actually goes on. We read from verse 18, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has died. Come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand 
and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. If you, <laughs> if you weren't aware, Jesus and his disciples were doing everything wrong. That's just wrong. It sounds like it's right, but it's not. It's wrong. There was a way to do things, and they weren't doing it. They were breaking all the religious rules that had been handed down from generation to generation since the time of Moses. Either they didn't know, or they didn't care. And they did know. They knew. Jesus was also breaking the code of an honorable rabbi. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He refused to hold his disciples to the same prayer and fasting regime that other religious leaders held their disciples to. He healed on the Sabbath. He ministered to Samaritans. He extended grace to the immoral. This was more than the Pharisees could handle. They could not see the kingdom of God exploding forth from Jesus' ministry because their concept of the kingdom of God was completely different. They were operating under a completely different paradigm, a different covenant, a different wineskin. The wineskin is an analogy of, uh, of structure um, or the paradigm that we have for the church and the kingdom. It is also an analogy that ties up our attitudes, which flow from that. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the priests, the religious establishment, they had a very firm grip on an old wineskin, a wineskin that had been given to their ancestor, Moses. They defined their world by God's law. They built their life around it. It shaped their view of God. It shaped their view of themselves. It shaped their view of everyone else on the planet. God to them was a holy but vengeful judge. And people are either law keepers or law breakers. That's the black and white way they saw the world. What they failed to see is that we are, in fact, all law breakers. None of us can hope to live up to God's standard of perfection, no matter how hard we try. And that was the purpose of the law, to demonstrate that we need God. We need him to redeem us because we can't do it ourselves. We need his mercy. And that, as it happens, is what the new wine is. God had come to earth to pour out on us all a new wine of love, of mercy, of compassion, of grace, and of power. God has always been powerful. And his power has always been displayed on the earth. But up until this point, this power was displayed on singular anointings of the Holy Spirit that went on a central leader or prophet. We saw it on Moses. We saw it on Saul briefly because he couldn't handle it. So then it was taken off him and onto David. And then David starts stuffing up and he's freaking out and he, and he writes this beautiful song. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's scared because he's seen it before. He's seen God take the power and the anointing off someone else because they couldn't handle it. And so he begged God, don't, don't depart from me. Don't take your spirit. And we see it on 
uh, other prophets. We see it on Elijah and Elisha. But it was only on these individuals. Never before had God's Spirit been poured out in power on thousands, on entire people. That was part of the new wine. But it would need a specific wineskin to handle it. It's pretty potent wine. Like my homebrew. To the religious Jews, what Jesus was bringing was heresy. To the intellectual Greeks, it was ridiculous. But to a growing community of humble God-seekers, it was the bread of life. And it was their salvation. You see, the wineskin matters. Our perspective on the kingdom of God matters. And it turns out, I've come to believe, our structure matters. Our attitudes matter. Because if we stubbornly hold to the perspective and structure and revelation of the old, we will never be able to receive the new. And you have to believe that God has new wine for us. He has new wine for his church. And those that have humbly surrendered to the leadership of his spirit and adapted to craft a new wineskin of structure and paradigm for the community will be able to receive God's outpouring in full measure. And that is why I believe there are some churches in the world that have glory clouds appearing in their worship services, that have hundreds of people being healed, that have hundreds of people coming to vibrant, spirit-filled faith, that have people getting raised from the dead. This happens in people's churches and ministries. And to some of us, that sounds like fairy tales. Or it sounds like what happened in the church in the Bible. The narrative in Matthew 9 is a powerful illustration of the wineskin and how it impacts our ministry to the world. The Pharisees were a wineskin crafted to receive the law. The wineskin of Jesus' kingdom was crafted to receive the new wine of love and grace. And as the new wine flowed from Jesus' ministry, that wine produced contrasting results in the polarized wineskins of the old and the new. Reading through Matthew chapter 9, we see from the perspective of the old wineskin, Jesus was contaminated by the social interaction of the impure tax collectors and sinners. That's what it looked like to the Pharisees. But in the new wineskin, the sinners were sanctified through their encounter with him. From the old wineskin, Jesus' disciples were less holy because they were not as dedicated to the prayer and fasting rituals that the Pharisees followed. But in the new wineskin, Jesus' Jesus' disciples were made holy through their relationship with Jesus, not their religious observations. Old wineskin, Jesus is defiled by an unclean, bleeding woman. Leviticus 15.30, she's filthy, get her out of the camp. New wineskin, Jesus heals a woman afflicted with a chronic illness that kept her socially ostracized as unclean. Old wineskin, Jesus is defiled by touching a dead body. Leviticus 15.30, uh, sorry, uh, Numbers 5.2. But in the new wineskin, Jesus raises from the dead a little girl who has your whole life 
in front of you. Old wineskin. No songs at the start of the Sunday service. Worship no longer a priority to leaders. New wineskin. Leaders obedient to the Spirit's leading and excited about launching our services from God's Word. Old wineskin. Leaders disestablishing men's and women's ministries no longer care about people. New wineskin. Leaders reinforce our, refocusing our time and resources on God's specific vision for us. Care more about God's plan for the church than what we've done in the past. Old wineskin. Apostolic leadership sounds like a top-down hierarchical structure where one man makes all the rules. New wineskin. Apostolic leadership is a heaven-down biblical structure where God leads his church. Oh, man. I've only recently figured that one out, though, by the way, so... Each, each in your time, it's all good. Yeah, we're all working on stuff, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. It's a matter of paradigm and perspective. If you're operating from the wrong wineskin, a move of God can very easily look like a move of man and vice versa. And I, I'm sure I don't need to preach to you that what you want is God's perspective on this stuff. I don't want you to have my perspective. I don't want you to have my revelation or Greeks, really. I want you to have that revelation from God as well. But you know what? The way revelation works is God starts with his, the structure he's given us. And the revelation starts by being given to those whose eyes and hearts are on heaven. The revelation comes down through that, and they step boldly into that. They start bringing that word and as we start stepping into that ourselves, we start to find we get the same revelation as well. And that's what I'm seeing in myself and all around me. It's blowing me away. I'm loving it. For a lot of us, though, new, new is just scary for a lot of people. I get that. But we don't have to get too carried away with that concept of all this being new. I've probably said the word new, I don't know how many times so far in this message. And as new as the new wine is and as new as the new wineskin is, it kind of isn't new at all. Because the new wine is actually coming from very old grapes. Grace is not a new concept that God made up in first century Palestine. God's been gracious, merciful, and loving the whole time. His plan for Israel was to be loving, gracious, and compassionate the whole time. You know, for every regulation there is about maintaining purity, which is legit, and God is holy, and he wants his people to be holy, there's so many other uh, regulations about taking care of people, taking care of foreigners who are in your land, taking care of widows and orphans. Years of Jubilee where you forgive debt. Well, that's not really a concept that most Christians, certainly not most Christian governments are that interested in. God's always been the same and his plan for his people has always been the same, that we would reflect his character and glory. So that, that's not new wine. The grapes are old. But God's pressing them again to bring what for us kind of feels like new wine now. And his church has kind of lost its way a bit. The new things that God is leading us into are not new to the kingdom of heaven. They are not new, a new inter 
interpretation of Scripture. We are not evolving. We are not mutating into a new life form that has never existed. This is not evolution. This is revolution. We are revolving and returning to the plan that God had for us all along. The plan the disciples modeled for us. The plan and vision that was lost to the church. I don't know, the Middle Ages, 4th century, when the the church started to get really political. Uh, Constantine the emperor took on some kind of Christian faith and made it the faith of the whole empire. Suddenly, it was a thing you, you could be born into. And you were just Christian because your parents were Christian or you were born into a Christian nation. As long as the, the priest uh, baptized you, you know, probably when you're eight days old, you're legit. God's got you covered. Don't worry about it. doesn't matter what you do with your life. You don't need relationship with him. The church became a political institution. It became the most powerful political and the richest political institution in the world. Well, that's not what God was asking for. They wanted a relationship with people. They wanted people that carried his love and his grace and his name and took that to the nations. Instead, that church raised up an army of actual soldiers with horses and swords and spears and marched them across the other side of the world to conquer nations with a fist. So, yeah, kind of, but not really what he was asking for. And now we've got to live with the stink of the Crusades forever. It's just such an easy one for for those who don't have a faith to drop. You know, oh yeah, Christians are full of love. What about the Crusades? I guess we've come a long way since then. Some of us. But this is a time when the church took its eyes off heaven and it became fixated on earth and the needs and greeds of mankind. Hungry for power, not hungry for God. Old wineskins and new wineskins, as we embody them today, are not necessarily about age. It's about attitudes, about the position and condition of our hearts. Sure, an older person can be entrenched in a legalistic religious mindset that quenches the movement of the spirit. It can happen, but so can a younger person. This isn't an age thing. An older person can be fully released in the freedom of God's grace. Living by the spirit, not by the law. Living in liberty, not by judgment. And a young person can continue to reproduce the same old legalistic religion they inherited from their parents or the authors of the really conservative old school books they've read. God has been pouring new wine into the rock for some time now. New vision, new revelation, more power. But our old wineskin, our structure, our shape, our methodology, our priorities were for a long time from the old days. We were living on former glories and former vision. And many of us were trapped there. As a church, if we were ever to fully take hold of the the new wine that God had for us, then we would need a new wineskin. We would need to change the structure of our community. We would need to change the position of our hearts. I've been on staff at The Rock now for four and a half years. And if you haven't noticed, let me tell you, uh, things are different around here. Things are definitely different in me. And I hope some of that change is reflected uh, all over the place as well. But this is exactly what God told us was going to happen. 
God spoke powerfully to us through his prophet, Cindy Ruakere. Mm, I remember that service very well. In fact, it's etched on me. Who you were is not who you are now. And who you are now is not who you are going to be. Sure words have not been spoken in this place. But things needed to be different. If the rock was going to step into the new season that God had for us, receiving the new vision and revelation that entailed, we would need to be different. We would need to think differently. We would need to have more faith, trusting in him and each other, trusting in Greg and the elders. We would need a new structure, a foundation built on the foundation of uh, apostles and prophets. The Christ is the cornerstone. We would need a structure that recognizes and respects all the gifts that God has given the church. Because to become who he has called us to be, we would need them all. We would need all the gifts. Respected and exercised. Fleshing out that prophecy has been a painful journey for us uh, at times over the last couple of years. Many of our beloved family uh, were not able to see the glory of what God has in store for us and could not receive the new wine. Many of us have struggled to find the faith to step out into what God was leading us into. And many have walked away altogether. For those who have remained and those who have joined us in this season, be encouraged God is crafting a new wineskin. He is crafting it with us, and the new wine he is pouring into us will not break us. We will be able to contain it. That is what he is doing with us now. What is the purpose of a wineskin? The purpose of a wineskin is to hold wine and to release it when people are thirsty. And people are thirsty. We're thirsty here. Our nation is thirsty. Even though they don't know it, they need it. And God's church is thirsty. Our world is dying of thirst. And in some parts of the kingdom, it seems like his church is dying of thirst as well. They don't have his wine. They don't have his spirit. Or they have just a fraction of it. They need the good wine. Will we have it for them? Or will our old attitudes crack under the pressure of change that the good wine brings? From our passage in Matthew 9, did you see what it was that led Jesus to share the parable of the, the wineskins and of the cloth? Did you see what it was that actually led him to, to bring that? It was questions and complaints about Jesus eating with sinners. It was the questions about Jesus' disciples not abiding by the same religious regulations that the Pharisees and the disciples of John followed. You know, we get questions and complaints all the time here. Why don't we have a woman's ministry or a men's ministry why don't we allocate more money to overseas mission? Uh, why don't we sing more hymns? Uh, why don't we speak in tongues more? Why do we speak in tongues publicly? 
Uh, why don't we start our services with three lively songs? Why does Clay wear pink shirts? It's pale red. It's very <laughs> clearly. New wineskins, people. New wineskins. Yeah, we get questions and complaints and polite suggestions. Sometimes not so polite from people all the time. Pretty much everyone has their own idea. In fact, we all have our own idea of what the church should do and should look like and should sound like. We all have our own preferences. We all have uh, the things that we remember from the old days and when we came to faith. And, uh, and most of us have our opinion on what we should be prioritizing financially and what ministries we should be offering and probably what we could do without. The problem is with all these contrasting opinions, is, well, how can we ever come together and have unity of purpose? And fulfill the vision that God has given us as a faith community. Well, the first response I would make to that is that we, we have to make a choice. Do we want our opinions and preferences to prevail and dictate the direction of this church? Or do we want God's? And is it possible, maybe, that our opinion is different to God's? And if maybe that is the case, and we don't exactly have it lined up the same way God does, can we find the humility to surrender our opinions and let God have his way with his church? And will we still turn up and we still participate and still give and still love and still reach out if his church is not exactly the way we would have done it? That takes humility. It means putting something else before ourselves. It means surrendering our own will. This is not thinking that we're on the same level as Jesus and our opinion is matter, matters as much as his. It's giving up on things that we would like to be another way. It's hard. For some of us more than others, I'm a prideful man. But I need, I guess, ultimately, I need it to be his way. I need it to be his will. And so bit by bit, we surrender, we humble ourselves. And bit by bit, God has his way in us. And that's where it starts. This church changes. It transforms into the church God dreamed up when we change. The rock is a sum of its many parts. As we change, as we are transformed by him, this place, this community changes, it's transformed. And that only happens when we're humble. Bit by bit, eh? Through his preaching and example, Jesus broke down walls in Jewish society to extend the kingdom of God to those that society rejected. He reached out to the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the immoral to lepers, to the despised Samaritans. Sadly, 2,000 years later, not much has changed. Sure, we're okay with tax collectors now. 
even have one on eldership. But the... Oh, Paul's not a tax collector. He's all right. <laughs> the contemporary church has shown itself, however, to be decidedly hostile to homosexuals. Palestinians. Yeah, we don't like them so much. Liberals. Nuh-uh. Well, I guess we're not really that inviting still to prostitutes. Those girls can't cut a break. The narrative of Matthew 9 would totally happen today. You know that, right? It would totally happen today. But it wouldn't be Pharisees. It would be us. It would be God's religious church. The new Pharisees are in his church. Here's how Matthew 9 would happen in Wellington. While Jesus was having dinner at Charles Chauvel's house, many gay rights activists came and ate with him and his disciples. When the local church saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with homosexuals? And then we know what Jesus replies to that. We'll always find something new to point our finger at. Something that won't meet our standard. And we'll, it's okay, we'll, we'll find scriptures to you know, back us up and we can say it's God's standard. And, you know, maybe it is God's standard. But what's interesting is the way that Jesus responds. You know, he doesn't go in with the, uh, with the book of the law and lay out what the standard is. He just interacts with grace and love. He doesn't judge. He didn't come to bring judgment at that time. He came to bring mercy, to bring compassion and lead people to himself. For some reason, we've decided that now is the time for judgment. Jesus brought love and grace, and that was good. But now, it seems, is the season for judgment, where we will determine, based on our morality, which we'll find Scripture for, that this is what is okay and what is not. And if you don't meet our standard, which is also God's standard, well, then get out. You're not welcome here. When you've cleaned up your your act, your life, and you're living by what I find acceptable, then you can come in to fellowship with me. Then you can come into our church. Then I've got an awesome message to share you about God's grace. You'll love it. It'll be awesome. Once you don't do things I don't like. Probably don't need to labor that point anymore. This is what God was doing in the ministry of Jesus. Reaching out to the broken, to the marginalized, to the sick, to the afflicted, and bringing them freedom, bringing them healing, leading them into something better. They were drawn to him. Who gets drawn to us? For some reason, these broken people were drawn to him. God was doing this in the New Testament church, and he's still in that business today. The issue is whether his church is still in that business today. And whether our structure, our values, our priorities, our attitudes position us to receive and channel the revelation and anointing that God has for us in our city. So yeah, there's new wine, but how is our wineskin? And the answer to that question is, how is your wineskin?
Our one skin, as I said earlier, is the sum of our values and attitudes and our culture as a community. That culture is made up of each of us. The more humble each of us before God, the more humble our culture as a community is, well, that humility, it translates to a supple, stretchy new wineskin that can stretch and accommodate the move of God wherever he moves. So, uh, in closing, in a nutshell, to transform into the church God is calling us to, we need to change. We need to grow from where we are now. We need to believe some things that we might not currently believe. Or we might need to step out in faith into some things that we don't quite believe yet. How scary is that? We need to believe things that we don't believe right now, possibly. We need to experience some things that we might not have experienced yet. I know I certainly do. And to that end, we need more humility than we currently have. We need more faith than we currently have. Fortunately, though, those are things, those are gifts that God is happy to give us in abundance. He's very generous with such things. Unfortunately, acquiring them can be a little arduous. can be very painful. It can be. Humility and faith. There are two ways to get these things. Humility and faith. Here's, here it goes. It's very simple. Humility. You can humble yourself or you can get humbled. Humble yourself. You know, this can be tough. This is the act of surrendering of yourself. This is recognizing, you know what? I would like things to be different. I might not even agree with that. But I'm going to trust you, God, and I'm going to put you first. I'm going to bring myself under that. And I'm going to surrender my will to receive yours. It's active humbling. God responds to that. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Or the other way. And you get humbled. Oh, that can be painful and embarrassing. I try to humble myself as much as possible. Because when you're up here preaching it out, when you get humbled, it gets messy. It's humility, faith. Faith comes from two paths. Actively stepping out into the unknown and relying on God. Once again, that comes with us. God has planted a seed of faith in us all. And we can water that and we can grow it. And faith, I guess from my perspective, works like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the more you work it, the bigger it grows. But working it means constantly stepping out a bit further than you went before. Stepping out into something new. Trusting him where you're not quite sure how it's going to work out. That's, that's one way that faith grows. The other way is... Um, you end up being left to wander into a place where you need faith to survive or you die, a.k.a. rock bottom, e.g. starving on a pig farm like the prodigal son. That's the other way it happens. God is gracious, and he will lead us to where he wants to lead us, and we can go along willingly, or we take the other way, and it's painful and messy. But God knows what's best for us. And he will lead us the way that has to happen. And even then, it still requires our participation. 
We can make it easier on ourselves, people, or we can, or we can make it harder. We make it easier on ourselves just by trusting him. It all flows from there. Do you trust him with your life? I'm sure you know, church on a Sunday morning, most of you have made some kind of decision for faith and said, yeah, yeah, I trust you, Lord. Made some kind of response like that. But you, do you really trust him with your life, with your family, with your career? Do you trust him with this church and what he's going to do with that? To let him do what he wants to do, both in you and the rock. The results will blow your mind when we let him do what he really wants to do with us. Let's pray. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you so much for what you have been doing in us, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that your hand is firmly on this place. And thank you, Lord, that now is the time and now is the season where you are pouring out something amazing into us. Lord, I just want to reach out. I want to receive that new wine. I know our church here does. We want everything you have for us. More of your love, more of your grace, more of your power, more of your word. Thank you, Lord, that your plan is to craft us into a wineskin, into a structure that can receive that. So, Lord, I pray you'd be changing hearts and minds even now, right now, softening our hearts to receive you. Lord, renewing our minds that won't block off the work of your spirit. You'd be exciting our spirits, Lord, to receive from your spirit. Lord, I pray just across the room now, Lord, for our humility, Lord, just to descend. Humility, Lord, which is such a powerful fruit, Lord, of your spirit, as your spirit is active in us. So I pray, Lord, that you'd help us all and definitely me, Lord, to give in more to the work of your spirit. Lord, I want to let you do in me, Lord, what you want. I want to be the man of God that you've called me to be. And I want that for my brothers and sisters here this morning as well. Soften our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, just for increasing surrender to let you do your will, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that faith would explode in this place. That we'd be hungry and excited, Lord, like extreme athletes throwing ourselves off tall buildings, Lord, for you to catch us and bring us down into amazing things. I pray faith would just explode here. And bit by bit, you'd be stretching us into new things. Thank you, Lord. We pray that you would have your will, your will, not ours, as on heaven, now on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be standing. Please be standing. His will, not ours. I want to sing this song. It's his will, not ours.